and then think about uh, one particular aspect of, of this in a few minutes. So, let's read together Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. We're pretty complex beings, aren't we? Uh, we kind of shift around and we, we, we twist and turn and our, our thoughts and our minds seem so inconsistent at times. Uh, we find ourselves getting bitter and twisted over issues which really in the scheme of things are not that big. And uh, we find ourselves getting wound up. Uh, you know that. I, I know it. I'll, you know, I'll confess it on behalf of all of us. Yeah, you get in the car, for example, and um, our, our kind of stress levels, our ability to kind of stay balanced, just disappears out the window, doesn't it? We end up so twisted and out of shape at times when things don't go the way we want them on this little trip of 10 or 15 miles. Uh, How much bigger that uh, tends to impact in other areas of life? We don't relate particularly well with each other either, do we? Uh, We misunderstand each other. You know, we find that we approach things in different ways. Now, we, we kind of encourage guys, you know, guys, you need to understand uh, that, that when a, a woman says to you, no, I'm fine, she isn't. <laughs> uh, apart from the times when she actually is. Uh, and you need to understand that you've got to get it sorted 
to be able to understand those times when she says, no, I'm fine, it is, no, I'm fine. And when she says, no, I'm fine, that you've got to be, a, yeah, there's a difference, isn't there? Uh, there is, honestly. Uh, I've been married for 22 years, 20, 20, 22 years. And uh, I, I know that there's a difference. We don't particularly relate well to each other. But then when we look at it, we don't particularly relate well even to ourselves. William Ward described it like this. He said, man is peculiarly, peculiar, a, sorry, man is a pe peculiar, perplexing, puzzling paradox. He is groping for God and hoping to hide from him at the self-same time. We are a paradox ourselves. At one stage and in one breath, we are both groping for God and trying to hide from God. We are complex beings. We are puzzling beings even to ourselves, if we're truly honest. So, you know, we, we might laugh and joke about the idea of uh, not quite understanding each other, well, we don't even understand ourselves well. Augustine said this, I've become a puzzle to myself. <laughs> you know, there are many times in life when we hit particular points where we, we listen to ourselves, we're able to just step back for a minute and say, you know what, I'm not even consistent to myself, I find I've just said that, I've just done that, I just don't understand why. You know, I think we see this at this particular point in Jonah's life. Look at what we see at the beginning of this particular chapter. We know that Jonah has been told to go to Nineveh and to declare to Nineveh that God's judgment on this city, but also to declare a good and a gracious God. Uh, and he goes into the city, he declares God, and, and the people of Nineveh respond to the message, which we've seen in these past weeks, isn't particularly a, an encouraging message in the way that it's portrayed. It's God's going to bring judgment on this uh, city. In 40 days, the city will be destroyed. That's what Jonah says. And yet, remarkably, we find that the people of Nineveh, they turn, uh, and they turn in hope to this God. Jonah comes out of that angry. Look at what we read in verse 1 to 3. We read that Jonah is exceedingly angry. He's fuming. He goes out of the city and he waits to see what's going to happen. And he prays to God and he says, now listen to this. O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? You know, up to now, that's consistent with being angry, isn't it? I knew that this was going to happen. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Okay, still okay with that. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew that you are that kind of a God. Just stop. How inconsistent is that 
with being angry. I knew that you were a God who is kind and gracious and compassionate. And therefore I'm angry. You would have thought, wouldn't you, that knowing God and knowing that God was like that and knowing that God was that kind of a God should be an impetus, should be an energy, not for anger, but for peace and confidence in God. And yet Jonah completely reverses, he turns upside down the outcome of knowing the nature of God and twists it to anger and frustration. I think it's a tremendous warning to us, isn't it? Sometimes coming to know God, coming to understand what God is like, doesn't immediately result in peace and confidence and happiness. For Jonah, it results in frustration and anger. Why is that? Why do we find Jonah in this position? And therefore, why can we find ourselves in exactly the same situation? In tension and in conflict with a God who is kind and gracious and compassionate. Why is Jonah there and why can we be there? Because our view of things, our outlook of things, the way we think things should be, the way Jonah thinks things should be, are in conflict with God. That's why Jonah is where he is at this point in time. And it's easy for us, isn't it, to look back at this and to read this story and think, oh, isn't Jonah so wrong? <laughs> isn't it ridiculous that he should be angry because the people of Nineveh have, have turned and responded? And yet so often we find ourselves puzzled and angry and bitter ourselves because we fall into exactly the same trap as Jonah. So we find ourselves twisted, bent out of shape, frustrated. Let me kind of just boil that down to the simplest little description of that. It's so almost puerile. You get in the car, and we're, we're making a trip from here to, um, I don't know, the center of Leeds. What a nightmare trip that is. <laughs> And we jump in the car and we've got an appointment. We head in that direction and um, there's traffic lights after traffic lights after traffic lights and then there's a hold up uh, and all sorts of things are, are conspiring against us making that appointment. Can you feel, I'm just describing it now and I'm feeling frustrated just thinking about it. Feeling myself getting frustrated. Another red light. And we find ourselves twisted and angry and bitter. Who is in control of that? Who is Lord of all in every situation? I heard of somebody who described exactly that experience. And then they were able to describe, and the outcome of that was, that because I was delayed... I was preserved from a dramatic situation at the destination where I was going. Who's in control there? How easily and how quickly we slip into 
deciding and designing the way in which our life should be ordered. When we see Jonah in this situation, we see a man who is bitter and a man who is frustrated. Jonah has become a puzzle to us and to himself. He declares a God who is kind and who is gracious, and that's the reason for his anger and his frustration. It seems so bizarre, doesn't it, looking at it from the outside, but that is exactly the situation that he's in. What would the reasonable response of God be to that? Look at what Jonah says. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The reasonable response from that, from God, at that point in time is, Jonah, I'll grant your request. And he expires on the spot. That would be the reasonable, acceptable request. I'm frustrated. It's not gone my way. It's not gone the way that I felt it should be. And God should, at that point, say, I grant you that. What do we see in actual fact? Rather than God zapping Jonah on the spot, causing his life to end like that, which we know he could have done, we see God working out exactly what Jonah has said God is. A God of grace and a God of compassion. We see God turning around that whole situation and settling some time with Jonah. Jonah, you're angry. It's as if we can see in this chapter 4 a description. Jonah's frustrated. Jonah's angry. And God says to him, Jonah... Is it right that you should be angry? There's a verse in Isaiah that it's a wonderful verse that describes God's willingness to condescend to our situation. It's as though at this moment in time, God says to Jonah, in effect, the words of Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. It's as though by by a series of visual demonstrations, God says, okay, Jonah, let's reason together. Let's work this through, shall we? Let's spend some time over these next hours, you and me, working out your situation. Isn't it great to know? Isn't it a wonderful picture portrayal that we see here of what God is like. You know what? I need, I need a God who is gracious and compassionate and gentle because I know that I get wound up. I know that I get myself in a stew. I know that I get myself in a situation where I am at odds with God, where my desire and my way is in conflict with his desire. And what I need at that point is a God who is gracious and fatherly enough to say, okay, Paul, let's reason together. Let's spend a bit of time just working this through. Because you know what? I'm a father to you. 
I, I am not somebody who sits alongside you who is now going to get wound up by your frustration. This might be a tough bit of reasoning for us to work through, but I am with you. I am alongside you. I am your father. I am prepared now, at this point in time, to spend time with you to work this through. And we see this working through now with Jonah. Because God says, even though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. I will turn around situations. I will turn around your understanding. I will even turn around your nature, your character, your being, who you are as you stand before me. I will change you. How does Jonah experience that? And therefore, how might we experience that? I think what we see here is a man A man who is angry enough to die. That's what he says. I am angry enough to die, but he is loved enough to live. Angry enough to die, yet loved enough to live. Let's see how this works through. Jonah turns to the situation. He says, right, I'm going to go outside of the city. And what does he do when he goes outside of there? He's now exposed a very hot part of the world. Uh, Winds from the east would be traveling over thousands of miles of dry, barren land. Winds from the east would be gathering in temperature and would be an extraordinarily hot experience. And so Jonah, he built himself some protection. He sat in the shade, uh, he made a, a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade. He creates for himself some protection. We might say, in fact we will say as we see this working out, Jonah builds his own protection. But what does God do? God adds to his protection. God sends a a vine, a, a plant, He appoints a plant which grows up. And Jonah finds shade from God's provision. Isn't that a remarkable thing? Jonah builds his own protection. But actually, it is God's provision which really protects him. This plant grows up over over the booth that Jonah has built. So we can imagine that he's probably built himself some wooden slats, Uh, And and then added to that is this growing up overnight, this broad-leafed plant which fills in all of the spaces, creates some real protection for him. Jonah finds God's grace in that situation, doesn't he? God's mercy. He sat outside in the burning heat and God gives him some protection. And then the following day, Jonah experiences God's grace and mercy again. What does God's grace and mercy look like on the following day? God's grace and mercy on the following day looks like a worm that comes along and eats away at the root of the plant, and the plant is destroyed. 
And then Jonah finds something out. And it just hits him, literally, this burning east wind. And he realizes what? My protection wasn't sufficient. The booth hasn't disappeared. This, this shelter that he's built for himself hasn't disappeared. But God's protection for him has disappeared. And in that moment in time, he experiences something which I guess will have stuck with him, certainly through his writing of this and, and for the rest of his days, he experiences this. God's graciousness and God's provision was found in both of those things. It's found in the provision of the plant that sheltered me for a day. And God's provision is also found in the fact that it was then taken away. It is the most important lesson that Jonah learns. God's provision is in the fact that it is there and in the fact that it is taken away. Why can we say that Jonah finds God's provision in it being taken away? Because he understands this. <laughs> I can't protect myself. In that particular moment in time, he finds he needs, he needs protection bigger than himself. He needs a protection outside of himself and he finds that God provides it and then God takes it away. What do we see in the life of Jonah? We see a series of God's provisions. Let's recount them. He's hurled into, in, into uh, a storm, a great wind. Where does that great wind come from? It comes from God. Great storm, number one. What's Jonah's second provision? In the middle of the great storm, as they cast lots to discover where the issue is, the lot falls on Jonah. Was that a mistake? Was that a, an, an amazing coincidence? Or was it God's provision that the lot would fall on Jonah? The lot falls on Jonah, provision number two. Provision number three is that God appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah up. Provision number four, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. What an amazing provision that is. Surely he's blown it, but the word comes a second time. The word of the Lord comes a second time. Provision number five, the Lord appoints a plant to grow over him. Provision number six, the Lord appoints a worm to swallow up, to devour the plant and destroy the plant. Provision number seven, verse eight, God appoints a scorching east wind. What does that tell us? What does that tell us about God's gracious hand on Jonah's life. It tells us, doesn't it, that not all of God's provision is necessarily what we would describe as good. Some of God's provision there is really tough. Some of God's provision is really hard for Jonah to deal with. Some of God's provision literally turns him around literally stops him in his tracks. And yet, what do we understand? Jonah has made a declaration. You're kind, you're gracious, you're compassionate. You're the God who has brought these seven provisions into my life. 
provisions which in human terms might be difficult for me to cope with, and yet provisions, do you see the pattern that this book is describing to us? Every one of those provisions are bringing Jonah to a deeper, deeper understanding that God is good, and God is kind, and God is compassionate. Every one of them. They bring him step by step, nearer and nearer to a greater understanding of himself. Look at Jonah's life. He's been turned around, he's been thrown into the sea, he's been spewed up onto the beach, he's gone into the city, he's now frustrated and angry. And every one of those stages, God has been there. And he's been shaping events and situations. Look at your life, look at my life. You feel sometimes as if things are just out of control. It's another issue. It's another experience. It's another thing which has come into my life and it's so hard. Let me just assure you, if God is the God that Jonah has described, a God of grace, a God who is merciful, a God who is compassionate, a God who says effectively to Jonah, come let's work this through, let's reason together. If he is that kind of a God, if he is a God who is concerned about his people so much that he is prepared to deal with us through tough times and using tough times and tough experiences. He's telling us that he loves us that much. I love you enough to deal with the tough issues, to bring tough experiences into your life. Why? Because you need to understand that you can trust me. You can trust me in every situation. When this particular issue hits you and you thought you'd got through it and now it's come back again, I'm there already. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And every step of this journey is my hand upon your life guaranteeing that I will bring you ultimately to a place of hope and security and safety. And every one of these stepping stones is designed by me so that you would know me more. We believe that God loves us enough to deal with us like that. But where is this taking us? How can I know that? How can I be sure that God is like that? We see it really simply in Jonah's life here, don't we? In really kind of simple, uh, basic description, a kind of, just a visual aid. Jonah says, I'm going to make my own protection. I'm going to go out into the, outside of the city. I'm going to give myself some protection. And he realizes he can't secure his own protection. He needs a protection from outside. Because there are bigger elements, there are bigger issues that he can't protect himself from. But God can. We all need that. 
We all know that we need a greater protection than we can ever create for ourselves. But don't we live our lives trying to create our own protection, trying to create our own saviors? And yet Jonah understands and he sees here, I need a savior, which is not formed and created by me. I need a savior which is formed and created by the God of heaven who can protect me from powers and authorities which are far greater than I can ever come to terms with. It's preparing Jonah, preparing you and me to say, I know that there is a Savior coming. A Savior who is the ultimate protector, the ultimate booth, if you like, the ultimate cover and shade. One who will protect and who will not be attacked and be destroyed. It's Jesus, who is the ultimate hope, who is the ultimate protection, that we can say, yeah, I know I need more than I can create, and I know that it has to be created by God. In fact, it has to be God himself. How does God do that? Well, he brings his son into the world. We've seen it on many times, but with a purpose. With a purpose to secure something for the future. There is a wonderful verse in Revelation that says this. In fact, it's words that we sing in one of the songs that we sing. Looking forward to the future, there's going to come a time where we see this. There'll be no more hunger. Neither will, be the thir- neither will there be thirst. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. Well, picture there, isn't it? Revelation uses pictures. Uses pictures that we can come to terms with. You know, living in a, in a part of the world where the scorching heat was a real terrible thing, you needed protection. What's the scorching heat that we need protection from? The scorching heat of the effects of our rebellion and sin against God. The scorching heat of God's judgment. The scorching heat of the effects of powers and authorities which are opposed to God and yet militate against us. And God says there's going to come a time when all of that has passed. All of that has gone. It's finished with. You don't have to worry about that anymore. You're no longer in a fight. You're no longer in a battle. (laughs) Isn't that great news? To know that there is going to come a time when the things that God uses in our lives to reshape us, to reorientate us, are not going to be there forever. It's going to be a time of peace. In fact, we know that there is a coming a time of ultimate peace and ultimate rest, which we find in the presence of Jesus. It's great news, isn't it? What does Jonah understand finally? And what can we then nail down as this final picture in the life of Jonah? It's quite simply this, that God is gracious and kind to deal with us in such a way that he will be kind, be merciful, 
will deal with our individual situations in such a way to say, I am with you. I am alongside you. I love you enough to work with who you are. There are many people who've spoken to me down the years and have, have, they've been concerned. I know that I can't keep up this Christian life. <laughs> I don't know whether I should take the step of becoming a Christian because I, I just don't think I could keep it up. You know, Jonah's a great encouragement, I think. <laughs> He's a believer in the living God. He declares that God is gracious, and yet he just he gets angry, he messes up, he does all sorts of things wrong, and yet God sticks with him because God is faithful. I want to encourage you, that is the God who we worship. That is the God who is declared in his word, and therefore that is the God who we can trust day by day in every situation of life.